0: In a recent interview, tennis star Rafael Nadal was asked to comment on a judge's controversial decision to uphold the the visa status of a fellow competitor who was entering Australia for the tournament that they were going to hold. Nadal simply said... Justice has spoken since the judge had ruled to uphold the visa status. But just a short time later, Australia's Minister of Immigration canceled the same player's visa status anyway, and they asked Nadal for a comment. This time he said, Well, justice has spoken differently. Now, in today's passage, the the islanders on Malta probably could have identified with Mr. Nadal's quandary. One moment, the people are confident that justice had spoken over the Apostle Paul in one way. And then just a short time later, when the situation changed, they had to immediately pivot and adjust their perspective on what happened. So let's recall the scene. As Patrick described to us last week, the Apostle Paul and others aboard a ship are in a very precarious situation. They're nearing an island, and their ship becomes stuck on a reef. You can see the journey that they've taken across the Mediterranean, and in the red circle is the island of Malta, where they're stuck now, and they're just just about to roam, but not quite there. So as the waves kind of crash around them, the ship begins to break apart. So the soldiers are going to kill the prisoners so that they don't escape. But the centurion who is watching Paul wants to spare him. So instead, he, said, he tells everyone to jump overboard into the water. Those that can swim, head to the shore. Everybody else, find a board. <laughs> find a piece of shrapnel from the ship and, and float on in, which they all do. So in our passage, we rejoin this group as they emerge, presumably from the surf one by one, no doubt utterly waterlogged and absolutely exhausted but where are they? Who are the people making their way toward them? And what in the world is going to happen next? These are the questions that face Paul and the others who are with him as their dramatic journey continues in Acts 28 verses 1 through 10. Hear then the word of Almighty God. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place where were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Lord, would you help us to think clearly about this scene and what is happening here? And I pray that as your spirit leads us, we would revel in the glory of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. So today's passage highlights that all people have a perspective on justice and all people desire to receive mercy. But our main idea The place where we're heading this morning is that perfect justice and mercy are uniquely revealed in God and ultimately reconciled on the cross. So first, let's look at the way justice is conceived of by the people here in verses 1 through 6, and then we'll consider the mercy that God shows the islanders through Paul in verses 7 through 10. Now, as our passage opens, Luke reiterates that they were brought safely to shore, just as he mentioned in the very last chapter, the preceding verse, at the end of uh, chapter 27. It causes me to wonder, with, with Luke reiterating it here, if he was just in awe as he thought about this. Is he just sitting there recalling what happened and thinking, we... Paul really did make it to shore. Every single one of us. That's just amazing, given the circumstances. What else is amazing is that this wasn't Paul's first shipwreck. He told the Corinthians that he had been through three shipwrecks in his ministry, including one other than this one where he spent a night and a day adrift at sea. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 25. But but Luke here seems to be very keenly aware of the fact that it was God's hand that had guided them safely to shore. He also mentions that once they were safe, they found out that the, the name of the island was Malta, verse 1. It's a name that means refuge. It was first named that by some Phoenician sailors who obviously had landed there and were thankful that they had. So apparently Paul and his crew members were not the first ones to have an issue in this particular part of the sea. Maybe the believing men who jumped into the ocean called to mind Psalm 16 in verse 2, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. But whatever the case... Whatever they were thinking. What we know is that despite the danger and chaos, God had fulfilled a promise given to Paul. You remember just a short time ago that while they were on the ship, an angel appeared to Paul and told him that he would be saved, that he must stand before Caesar. Not only would Paul be saved, but God told him through the angel that every single person's life on that ship would be preserved, Acts 27 and verse 24. Now, no no doubt that was very encouraging for those who were on the ship, but it was just a reiteration of a promise that, that God had already given to Paul. You remember in Acts 23 when the Lord Jesus himself stood by Paul to encourage him, saying, Take courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me. In Rome. And they're almost there. How kind of God it was to make it exceedingly clear to Paul and then to offer reassurance for those that were with him that God would protect them in the midst of the danger and the uncertainty. I remember several years ago, one of the most important decisions Christian and I ever made in our lives was whether or not we would move from the Chicago area down to East Tennessee. It was a hard decision with our growing family. We trusted in God's promises. We knew that he would never leave us nor forsake us. We knew that he would lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, but it was so kind of God to give a vision to Christy's aunt who had a vision of a banquet table all set up and ready to go. And the message from the Lord was, I have everything prepared. All you need to do is go. So whether it's in difficulty or in uncertainty, God is able to provide manna for the moment, whatever we need. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So at first brush, getting bit by a a venomous snake, right after you just survived a shipwreck, definitely qualifies for the category of seriously? <laughs> Can this day get any worse? Right. He had to have thought that, but I wonder if this might not be more of something along the lines of a spiritual fist bump from the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit doing something subtle to encourage Paul and let him know that he is with him. Earlier in Acts, we traced out the idea that the seed of the serpent has been trying to kill the seed of the woman since Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. Paul recently summarized the charge that Jesus had given him like this. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Acts 26 and verse 18. Satan is furious with Paul for his faithful witness. I think this is the reason he probably likely at least helps to incite the violence against Paul. Think about it. Just recently in the book of Acts, Paul has been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been stoned with rocks and left for dead. He's been attacked by mobs. Nearly assassinated. Twice. Almost killed by the soldiers on the ship. And then he's shipwrecked. It's as if the ancient serpent says something like this. Okay, God, that's how you want to play it? Fine. It'll be poetic justice for Paul to die by venomous snake bite anyway. Now, I'm speculating, of course, but it's almost as if instead God protects Paul by giving Satan a little reminder about how impotent he is in the face of God's power and maybe just a little bit of a foreshadowing of what Satan's own fate will be, Revelation 20.10, as Satan will be tossed into the lake of fire. Now, one of the reasons I feel comfortable speculating about this is because the people attribute the snake bite to spiritual forces at work as well. No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed this man to live. Verse 4. So a sense of fairness or a sense of justice is something that all people have, and it develops very, very early. AT&T's latest cell phone commercial opens with this this cute little girl whose brother is given a bigger lollipop than her. The moment her brother sticks out his hand, the little girl says to the AT&T rep, that's not fair. We learn this lesson early. But in addition to the innate sense of fairness or justice, most people believe that you essentially get what you deserve. And there's certainly an element of truth to this, or you reap what you sow. Think about some of the phrases that you may have heard what goes around comes around. Or, well, he got what he had coming. The islander's perspective on Paul was that since since he had done something bad, something bad had now happened to him. But when nothing bad ultimately happened to Paul after he was bitten by the snake, they they switched gears and went ultra-positive. If he can defy death twice, maybe he's a god. Now, maybe the people were superstitious, but if you think about it for two seconds, you realize our culture culture is no less superstitious today. Think through this with me. What's the motivation for paying something forward or doing our good deed for the day or or in some theological circles, seeking to secure a blessing. Now, of course, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with with being generous. There's nothing wrong with doing something good or right. The question I'm asking is, what's our motivation for doing these things? For that matter right into our text, what motivated the islanders to display unusual kindness to those who landed on their island? Was it a sense that it was just right or just to do so? That's possible. Did they they see someone in need and just attempted to help without really reflecting on it at all? Or were they perhaps hoping that If they did something good to someone and rescued them from the sea, maybe the God of the sea would be kind to them and not wipe them out. In their minds, Paul was bad because a series of bad things happened to him. And then Paul was good, even a God. Because he overcame the bad. So, some concept of do good and get good or do bad and get bad seemed to be central in their thinking. But this isn't always true for believers. It certainly wasn't true for Paul in his life. It almost seems like the more faithful he was, the worse his life got. Ultimately, our role, whether we're receiving good or bad, is to testify to the greatness of the glory of Jesus. This this idea of do good, get good, or do bad, get bad, think about it with me, how much this actually permeates conversations that we have. I'm, I'm fairly convinced that a lot of people operate with some kind of functional karma, actively at work in their lives, or at least that's how they perceive it. If I do good, good will happen to me. If I do bad, bad will happen to, be, to me. Maybe, and maybe not. I've heard more than one celebrity recently being interviewed or commenting and refer to the idea of, of not wanting to upset the universe or not wanting to disrupt or emit some kind of bad energy in the universe or something along those lines. Let me just say about that, that if your ultimate spiritual concern is about not making the planet Jupiter mad or of somehow disrupting the magnetic field of the Milky Way, if that's your biggest spiritual concern, you should be concerned. But it does illustrate the fact that all people really do have some sense of justice. And very, very, very few people think with biblical clarity about that. Enter the Apostle Paul. Think of the kindness that God showed to the people of Malta and take heart, brothers and sisters, if you have a loved one that is lost. God sent a man who understood biblical justice and mercy probably more than any other person walking around on the planet. He sent him to an island that he didn't even know the name of. He arrived presumably by, by clutching a board as he floated along the surf. The only reason he was there at all is because their ship had been lost at sea and had been at least somewhat blown off course. In other words, God can get the gospel to anyone, at any place, at any time, in any way he chooses to save someone. So don't give up praying for your lost loved ones. God can make it happen. Did you notice in this passage that it doesn't say anything about Paul preaching the gospel on the island? Now, I'm going to assume something here about Paul, but I think it's a fair assumption to make. My assumption is that Paul did share the gospel with the people of Malta, and the reason that I believe that that's true is because every single place that Paul went he shared the gospel with those people essentially as soon as he arrived. Paul is now on the doorstep of Rome as it were and Paul had written a letter to the believers who were in Rome In fact, Paul wrote in that letter that he longed to come to the believers who were in Rome, and he's almost there. In the beginning of that letter, a letter we refer to as Romans, right? and if you wonder what it looks like, just just flip over one page to the right there, and you'll see it. In that letter called Romans, Paul writes these words, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, that is to non-Greeks. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you. This is why I think, this is why I'm assuming that God preached the gospel. Paul was excited to preach the gospel to the people of this region, whether they were Greek or barbarian. This is significant because the word that's translated here, native people, in verse 2, is the word barbarian. Paul felt a sense of obligation to preach the gospel to everyone, Greek or barbarian, and he was eager to do so. Further, the fundamental topic or the the, the central issue that Paul is addressing in his letter to the Romans is the idea of biblical justice. Here's the question that, that Paul is essentially wrestling, wrestling with in the book of Romans. This is what he's arguing through at least the first five chapters. Since all people are unjust... How is it possible that a perfectly just God can justify, that is, to consider unjust people to actually be just and righteous? How can God do that and still remain just himself? That's a difficult question. Since all people are unjust, and and we could could substitute the word righteous or unrighteous. Since all people are unrighteous, since all people are unjust, how is it possible that a perfectly just, righteous, and holy God can consider unjust people to actually be just? How can he do that and still remain holy and just and righteous himself? The reason that's a problem is because that's not fair. Do you feel the tension of the question? God is holy. How can He possibly welcome sinners into His presence? without incinerating them? The answer to that question is the gospel itself. The answer to that question is Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness or or the justice of God has been manifested apart from the law. That is in the person and work of Jesus. The righteousness of God Has come to earth. God has provided the righteousness that he demands in his beloved Son. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There it is. That is the gospel. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the solution. God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, his justice, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Problem. For a holy and just God, but it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the miracle of the gospel. That's the solution to the problem. The answer to that question is that on the cross of Calvary, the perfectly just Son of God fully bore the just wrath of God against our injustice so that through His substitutionary atonement, you might experience mercy from God forever. The answer to that question is that you get to exchange your record of injustice your record of unjust behavior you get to exchange that record with the record of Jesus Christ God's holy and righteous and perfectly just son that happens in only one place and that is on the cross of Calvary without the cross you have no hope of being saved unless you put your faith fully in the atoning work of Jesus on your behalf, you have no hope of being saved. You could never, ever do enough just things to make up for the unjust things that you have done. But Jesus has. And he never did anything that was unjust. Therefore, by faith, his record becomes ours. Our record is given to him, and we can be saved. In other words, all the justness of Jesus exchanged for all your unjustness forever. That's the miracle of the gospel. The answer to the question is found in the character of God and in the cross of Christ the answer to the question that Paul is wrestling with in Romans is that perfect justice and mercy are uniquely revealed in God and ultimately and only reconciled on the cross. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Remember, Luke's a physician, so we're going to go ahead and trust his diagnosis here. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came. And they were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is, this is such a beautiful scene. This is the mercy of God on display in an extraordinary way through the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine what this would have looked like on this relatively small island as word gets out that healing is possible. And they start coming from all corners of the island with the hope that they could be healed. And they are. Brothers and sisters, this is a foreshadowing of the day when we'll all be in the presence of Jesus Christ and we will be healed fully and forever. All of the grossness of our sin, gone. All of the crimson red from sins we have committed, washed away all of the shame that just seems to stick to us because of sins that have been committed against us. God, forever. Free in the presence of God, forever. As the book of Acts is nearing its end, here we see the promise of Acts 1.8 being fulfilled through a ministry of mercy, on malta but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth acts 1 verse 8 in many ways this scene here on malta Is the culmination of the ministry of Jesus through Paul. In the sense that this scene is reminiscent of Jesus himself. I mean, Paul has healed other people in the book of Acts, but do you recall anything like this? Who does it remind you of? It reminds you of Jesus, it reminds you of the ministry that Jesus accomplished. Luke 4, verses 38 through 40. and Jesus arose and left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. Jesus is awesome. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now now when the sun was setting, the, the word got out. The word got out that true healing was possible and available in Jesus. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. The same thing is happening again, but this time through the Lord's apostle. But the point is, Jesus continues to heal. In Matthew 9.33, after a series of healing miracles, the crowds marveled and said, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And now, not only had healing miracles been seen in Israel, Miracles that were done by by the hands of Jesus himself. But now healing miracles are being done towards, towards the ends of the earth in the name of Jesus through his follower. In John 10 and verse 38, Jesus once told those who were around him, If I am doing the works of my Father, even if you don't believe me, in other words, even if you don't believe my words, what I'm saying about myself and my relationship with the Father, even if you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. In other words, the works of Jesus were designed to validate the words of Jesus. It's always the words that were more important. The works demonstrated that he had authority. Do you remember when, when the friends lowered their, their buddy down at the feet of Jesus and Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven? And he was probably like, thanks, I was really hoping to walk. The Pharisees are mad. How dare he say? How dare he say to him, your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus probably nodded. But the point of saying that, and Jesus said this explicitly, was so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So I say to you, rise. Pick up your mat and walk. And he did. But the works of Jesus were designed to validate the words of Jesus, which is another reason why I'm confident that Paul also preached the gospel on Malta. Note verse 8. Before Paul began to heal, he prayed. Paul has no interest in performing miracles in the name of Jesus without depending upon Jesus. He has no interest in performing miracles in the name of Jesus without testifying to the power and to the authority of Jesus. Because the only thing that matters to Paul is that Jesus is glorified. The charge Jesus gave to Paul was to open the eyes of the Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who were sanctified by faith in me. Acts 26 and verse 18. It is inconceivable to think that Paul did not share this good news. That is the good news that forgiveness was available for sin. It is inconceivable to think that he would have healed them physically and not met their far greater need, which is to share the gospel with them so that they might be saved. Now it's difficult to know what kind of impact this this almost unprecedented event had on the island of Malta, but Luke gives us a clue in verse 10. The people honored us greatly when we were about to leave. They put on board whatever we needed. So what was the motivation of the people originally to show such unusual kindness to Paul and his companions when they first arrived on the island? It's it's not entirely clear. But what is clear? What seems clear now is that the people honored Paul and the others because they had now received the grace of the gospel and mercy from God as they were healed. You see the distinction. Look, let's think through how to apply this. The right response to Receiving grace and mercy from God is to be exceedingly generous with others. Mercy ministry opportunities at River Oaks. Get a hold of Grant or Stephanie with the meals ministry on Friday night. They could use the help. Don't don't serve other people because you're hoping that God will say, Oh, wow, I'm impressed. Serve others because you have first been served by Jesus Christ, God's beloved son. Love other people because you've first been loved by Jesus. Or get a hold of Ron and Sheila with with the C4 ministry. They're building rails and decks and all kinds of stuff. They always need help. They just serve people this, this week. And do so as an outflow, recognizing that you have first been loved by God. So when uh, Rafael Nadal said that justice had spoken differently, we realized that, that something had changed. A different verdict had been rendered. For the people of Malta who had lived with a general understanding that you get what you deserve, they now had presumably received the message of the gospel Itself, the glorious good news of the gospel. In other words, they heard a different word. They heard about the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, which cried out for justice from the ground. The people of Malta heard the word mercy proclaimed over them in Jesus' name. It is certainly true that people generally do get what they deserve. But praise God for the gospel of God, which gives us precisely what we don't deserve. The blessing and favor of God, because Jesus was willing to bear what he did not deserve on our behalf. To him be glory and honor and power and blessing forever and ever and ever would you pray with me lord we we are in awe of jesus i pray that as we sing praises to our deliverer you would you would cause the cross of christ to be exceedingly precious to us in our hearts I pray for those that are broken and wondering if even even their sins can be forgiven. I pray that you would make it clear to them by the power of your Holy Spirit that yes, your sins are no match for the righteousness of Jesus. And I pray that if that if even one person here looks at the cross and thinks I don't need it I pray that you would change their mind now and that they would worship with us, rejoicing in the substitutionary work of Jesus on their behalf. Lead us to respond in worship now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.